Welcome to Ag This Week. Sponsored by the New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau, this is your host, Delene Hodnett. This week's podcast features an on-the-ground report from a cotton farmer, an opportunity to learn more about pecan production, a seminar to help ranchers deal with drought, and a shopping event to benefit a statewide charity. And then we wrap up with a look to the next generation. Cotton farmers are keeping a close eye on the intercontinental exchange as cotton futures have been trading between $1.20 and $1.25 per pound. In fact, the USDA is predicting that upland cotton acreage in New Mexico will increase by 10%. Luna County farmer Don Hartman said that this is not surprising and introduced me to the phrase, cotton follows crude, meaning that as the price of oil goes up, manufacturers turn from petroleum-based fabrics like polyester and nylon to cotton, which increases demand. Don shares why he'll be increasing his cotton acreage this planting season. We've decided to plant more cotton this year just because it's more attractive and then we have the advantage of mechanical harvesting that and inputs are a lot cheaper than they are with the vegetables so that's part of the reasoning behind more cotton we get better weed control with cotton nowadays because they have the genes that they've introduced for roundup ready and it's also got the bogard which protects against the worms so yeah it's just more of a business decision than anything else I'm actually going to plant more Pima, too. I'm planting about half my acres in Pima cotton because they're upwards of $3 a pound. And upland cotton right now, I think December futures are $1.21. So, of course, with Pima, you make a little bit less than you do with upland cotton. The yields are less. And also, the Pima cotton doesn't have all the technology in it. You can get the Roundup Ready Pima, but it doesn't have the Bogard gene in it yet. And a Pima is a longer season crop. We've got some things in the works that we're going to try. We've got a planter that plants under film. And so we think we can gain about 30 days by planting it under film. So we're going to try that on both Pima and a little cotton to see if we can't bump our yields and maybe hit a home run. So when you say planting under film, does that require like an adaptation to your planter to be able to use that? It's a special planter that we bought that has the capability of laying the film all at the same time. And then it's a precision planter. It's 99% accurate, that doesn't plant doubles, and it's 99% no skips. But technology is, is expensive, so. Explain to us the benefits of planting under film. What environment does that create? Well, when you plant under film, you get more heat units faster because you don't have the evaporation of the soil moisture, which is much like a swamp cooler. When the soil evaporates, it cools the ground. And so when you keep that ground covered, it's almost like having a hot cap. It's the same concept, but this film is vented And so it does allow for it to breathe. So if you do get a few hot days early, like sometimes we do, it won't cook the plants. But it can be 20 degrees warmer just under the surface of that film compared to the open air. The film is biodegradable. Once it gets a certain amount of moisture for a certain length of time, it just sort of dissolves and goes away. What makes our climate so good for cotton? Well, the cotton that we grow here in New Mexico is typically a very high quality cotton because we are a high desert. And so we get lots of heat in the daytime and then we cool off at night and that allows 
for more movement of sugar and carbohydrates in the plant. And so that's why our green chili tastes better, that's why our onions seem to taste better, and the grapes for wine are a lot better, and that's because of the movement of sugar because we have, often we have 30 degree swings between daytime and nighttime temperature. So it's the same concept with cotton. My decision to grow cotton, part of it was based on the the drought that we have and the availability of water. Cotton is a good choice because it uses less water than a lot of the vegetables that we grow. Everything I have is under drip. We're 100% drip irrigated nowadays. Cotton grows really well on drip and I did a study a long time ago with the university and we buried some hobo sensors when we put in drip and we went to another farm just down the road that was not in drip and we buried hobo sensors at the same time. We would check those, they would download the sensor data every week and they found that the soil temperature was about 10 degrees warmer constant with drip than it was on furrow irrigated because of the evaporating effect of the wind on the soil. You didn't have that. When you irrigate, you know, you get wet on top and then as the wind blows, it cools the ground. And then once the surface is dry, then the sun will warm it back up. Whereas with drip, it's all irrigated underneath the ground. So there's never any surface moisture to be cooled by the wind. So the ground just stays warmer. The last time I planted cotton was about 12 years ago. And then we kind of quit because the price wasn't attractive. and We couldn't really make any money. But here lately, the price of cotton has gone up because the supply chain ran empty because of all the shutdowns with COVID. And so now the pipeline's empty. There's high demand. Texas was in a drought. And so this last year, they didn't make a crop. California was short because of their drought situation. So just naturally, the price of cotton has gotten better. Right now, even though cotton is more attractive, our inputs are going to be so high this coming year. You know, I price fertilizer, and last April I bought fertilizer at 260 a ton. I priced some the day before yesterday, and it was 730 a ton for the same fertilizer. And then chemicals across the board are up 25%, and there's a lot of them that aren't available because, again, the pipeline has been drained and most of those chemicals are made overseas and imported here. Well, a lot of the same fertilizer and stuff that we use on our vegetables are the same for cotton, but they're a lot less applied to cotton than there are to our vegetables. So that's one reason that we decided to go with cotton, just to kind of control our inputs a little bit more. Thanks, Don. We appreciate your time. From Cotton to Pecans, the Western Pecan Conference is coming up March 8th through 10th in Las Cruces at its new location at the Convention Center. Dr. Richard Hirama, Pecan Specialist for NMSU's Cooperative Extension Service, joins us to talk about the educational sessions that will be available. The educational program itself is just going to be on Wednesday, March 9th. So that'll be an all-day educational program starting at 8.30 in the morning and then running till the the end of the day, about 5 p.m. is when we'll, we'll wrap that up. Most of our pest management 
related presentations will be in the morning, and they'll include updates regarding the pecan weevil situation in New Mexico and across the West, given by representatives from the New Mexico Department of Agriculture and the Texas Department of Ag. And then we have another presentation given by Tiffany Johnson regarding a new pest which has shown up in New Mexico and Arizona in recent years, and that's the pecan bud moth. So she'll talk a little bit about that. And then we have two presentations related to pecan diseases, specifically cotton root rot and pecan leaf scorch. And so it'll be a tag team presentation by Joshua Sherman and Alex Hu. Both of them are from the University of Arizona. So they'll be talking about cotton root rot, and I will be presenting about pecan leaf scorch. We'll wrap everything up at the end of the day, first with a presentation by Dr. Jay Lillywhite, talking about the supply chain disruptions and how that's affected the pecan industry over the years. He's a professor from New Mexico State University. And then the very last event will be a marketing panel. We'll have marketing experts from across the country talking about pecan marketing and what's going on specifically in the pecan industry and tree nut industries. One of the things that's really been good in the state of New Mexico in particular is that crop load is quite a bit higher this year, meaning that the yields were a fair bit higher in the state of New Mexico. Now, that's not necessarily been the case everywhere across the country. In many, many parts of the country, the yields are way down, and also even in, in parts of Mexico. So overall, production worldwide is down, but in New Mexico, the crop looks great, and the, the quality also looks great um, this year. So it's, it's really a good year for New Mexico um, producers in terms of production and quality. What kind of research is coming out of New Mexico State University that's really benefiting our pecan producers? Yeah, we have some really uh, interesting and impactful research that's ongoing right now. One of the things that I'm very excited about is some research that was conducted in collaboration with some researchers at the University of Arizona, where we studied the effects of salinity on different kinds of seedling rootstocks. One of the things that we discovered is that there are a few different uh, rootstocks that that really grow much better under high salt conditions than those that do not. Salinity, really that word describes the level of salts that you might find in the irrigation water and in the in the soil. And it's not strictly just table salt, sodium chloride. It could be other sorts of salts as well, calcium, magnesium, and a whole range of other salts as well that might show up in the water or in the soil. Under the drought conditions that are prevalent across the southwestern United States, there's an increasing reliance on aquifer water, which typically has a higher salt load. And more than that, growers are relying more and more on aquifers that are not as high quality. And so they're using water that has higher salt content in it. And this is making it increasingly difficult to grow crops that are sensitive to salt. Um, the, the kind of damage that that salt might do to a crop might be that it becomes more difficult for the plant to extract water from the, the soil. And so you may see increased water stress in the plants, but it goes beyond that. Salts can even get to a level where there's direct toxicity to the plant tissues. So it might actually injure the roots, directly or it might accumulate in plant tissues like the leaves and so then you'll see some sort of a, um, a symptom of, of scorching along the leaf margins that's pretty common and that directly impacts growth it directly impacts yield pecan is one of those crops that is that is, is fairly sensitive overall to these sorts of salt issues genetics is one of the potential ways that we can manage salinity that's really what the point of that study was I should also mention we have a project going on here 
at New Mexico State, um, where we did a survey of pecan orchards from the western edge of the state all the way to the eastern edge, from Cotton City all the way to Lovington. And we studied the kinds of microbes that live on the roots and in the soil that surrounds the roots in these orchards. We will have an ongoing study that will start this this coming season to take that the next step, and that is what tools can growers use to actually manipulate the root microbiome, that is the, the fungi and bacteria that you see in the roots and around the roots. What can growers do to actually manipulate that for the better? So, you know, how can we push it in the direction of more beneficial microbes versus those that are less beneficial? Thanks, Dr. Hirama. For more information, search online for Western Pecan Growers Association Conference. If you're a rancher and are looking for ways to mitigate the continuing drought, the Southwest Beef Symposium would be a great place to start. Dr. Marcy Ward, NMSU Extension Livestock Specialist, explains what attendees can expect. It'll be held at the Quay County Fairgrounds in Tucumcari, New Mexico. It's due to start on Friday, March 11th at 9 a.m. And we'll be starting the day with a market outlook, given what's going on globally right now and how that's impacting particularly our feed prices. Uh, I think that'll be a really interesting talk by Kirsten Marshall out of Texas. And then following that, as it leads into, you know, we're talking inflation and all that, controlling those input costs, which is equally important, right? You can't really control the prices you're giving for things, but you can have some control on how you spend them. The other hot topic that I'm looking forward to is the 30 by 30 private property issue. Margaret Bayfield is executive director of the American Stewards of Liberty out of Georgetown, Texas, and she's going to give a talk about that. I know there's been a lot of interest and concern, and so we have a very interesting morning lined out. We'll break for lunch, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk more on the weather and cows. (laughs) A little bit of a diverse afternoon, starting with the value of pregnancy testing. We are zooming in Kai Poehler out of Texas A&M. He's a very well-respected researcher from that group in reproduction, and, and so he'll talk to that. And then we have from NMSU... Dr. Dave Dubois giving us a weather outlook. Hopefully we can get rid of this La Nina. If we can't, we have Dr. Casey Spackman, who's our range specialist. He will speak to how to manage through a potential second-year drought. Then we'll lean into more of that range management in the value of testing your forage and how that can help you sort of fine-tune your nutrition program. And again, that'll tie back into kind of controlling those input costs. You want to feed the right thing and maybe not too much of one thing and not enough of the other. That'll be presented by Kent Mills. He's pretty well known in the region. He's with High Pro Animal Nutrition, and he does a lot with custom building of programs and minerals for folks. So we look forward to that. We'll meet at 5 um, at the Pow Wow Restaurant for a reception and social hour. And then at 6, dinner will follow. And then the next day, one of the Quay County 4-H groups are going to be serving a great pancake breakfast to everybody. And we'll start off with George Perry, another excellent reproductive physiologist out of A&M. He's going to be talking about 
bull fertility and we'll have Kai Polar back looking at pregnancy loss. So it's going to be more of a focus on reproduction on both the male and female of the cow herd on Saturday morning. And we'll also have Craig Gifford, who is New Mexico State's beef specialist. He will then speak to breeding programs that will promote heterosis and get that hybrid vigor in your calves. And we'll end the program with guest speaker, producer from Texas, Houston McKenzie. He is brother to Kenneth McKenzie, who is a New Mexico producer. And they've been great partners with the Tucumcari Bull Test, and he's going to speak to the history of that program for everybody to hear. And so we look forward to ending the, the symposium with him. And then following the symposium, we're inviting people out to lunch at the Rex Kirksey Ag Science Center because we are then hosting our 61st annual Tucumcari Bull Cell. That's due to start at one, but we encourage people that have attended the symposium to stick around and stay for the sale. We have a really great set of bulls in the offering. It's just going to be a full two days of promoting the beef industry. Thanks, Marcy. If you'd like to see the full agenda, search online for Southwest Beef Symposium. Speaking of beef, the New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau's Women's Leadership Program will be shopping for meat, vegetables, and pantry staples for the Ronald McDonald House in Albuquerque. Here to share the details of the program and the event is Connie Rooks, the group's president. The mission of the program is to develop leadership skills, spread awareness about importance of agriculture through educational activities, and help women become advocates for better agricultural policies. We also promote and protect and represent the economic and educational interests of farm and ranch families in New Mexico. Farm and ranchers know very well about hard times, whether it's low crop prices, family sickness, or bad weather. They're all experienced uh, through tough situations. They also know that they can depend on their neighbors to help gather their herd, harvest their fields, or provide care for loved ones. And this tradition of neighboring will be extended to the Ronald McDonald House in Albuquerque on March 21st as 15 women from farming, ranching community will team up to shop for over $1,500 of meats, vegetables, and, and pantry staples. The Ronald McDonald House provides room and board at little or no cost for out-of-town families who have relatives in local hospitals. They recently just expanded to accommodate an additional 30 families and they're in need of a food donation for their families. And the New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau's Women's Leadership Program saw an opportunity to serve the community and step in. So we're really excited and we're really looking forward to helping our neighbors who are experiencing hardship. Thanks, Connie. If you'd like to join the Women's Leadership Program, look online for nmflb.org and click the Get Involved tab. Today we wrap up with a look to the next generation with Jordan Wilton, a DeBaca County 4-H and FFA member. Jordan, what does agriculture mean to you? Agriculture is our wisest pursuit because in the end, it will contribute to the most real wealth, good morals, and happiness. A quote from Thomas Jefferson. Agriculture is my life. Growing up on my family-owned cattle ranch in Fort Sumner, New Mexico, all I have ever known is a life in agriculture whether it was gathering cattle in the heat of June or fixing fence in December. Not only have I experienced the ups and downs of ranch life, but I have learned the dedication, hard work, and responsibility it takes to get the job done. 
Outside of ranching with my family, I'm also involved in 4-H and FFA. Through these agricultural-based organizations, I have learned the true importance and impact of agriculture on my life and others' lives to provide food and fiber for the world. I plan to attend Texas Tech University and major in elementary education with a minor in plant and soil sciences. My goal is to bring ag back into my elementary classroom and teach students the importance agriculture has on their lives. Skills like public speaking, responsibility, and organization that I learned through FFA, 4-H, and on my family ranch will help me successfully pursue my four-year degree and pass on these skills to future generations. Thanks, Jordan. We appreciate you aspiring to include agriculture into your future classroom. This has been Delane Hodnett with the New Mexico Farm and Livestock Bureau's Ag This Week.